You are about to enter the world of Hubble Hauntings. But first, a word from our friends at Bitchin Boutique. I'm Pitney. And I'm Amelia. And we're from Pitney, Pitney and Amelia's Bitchin Boutique. Who are we? Why, we're your new best friends, of course. Pull up a seat and listen in to what we think about people, places, and things. Geeky stuff, horror movies, weirdos we know, spirituality, sexuality, food, filth. It's like eavesdropping on the people at the next table for like an hour or so and wishing you could join in on their conversation. Also, do you see who just came in? Look at that hair. Oh, honey, just no. Bitchiness, you're soaking in it. We soften your hands while you do the dishes. Pitney and Amelia's Bitchin' Boutique. We're here. We're queer. And we're, we're in, in your, your ear. ear. Every other Friday, where all the classiest podcasts are found. And now, for today's story. Found it. This way, Captain. Yes, yes, Barnaby, you come too. Well, it's called Flesh and Bone, a history of flesh-eating and cannibalistic creatures. I haven't read this book in quite some time. It's not exactly light reading, or for the faint of heart. Yes, I do think we have a good chance of finding your monster in here. I think we're finally narrowing down our search. Let's just hope we can find the information in time. How close? Very. Yes, very close. The thing is practically on our doorstep. So remember, I know it's hard, but just focus. See if anything helps jog your memory. We need you to remember as much as you can before it's too late. Now, if both of you are ready, let us begin. In the world of myths and legends, there are the good, the bad, and those in between. The purest of creatures and the darkest of devils. Every culture has its own fables, tales of otherworldly beings both frightening and fascinating. From mythology to religious texts to folklore passed down in oral tradition, you name it, there's a story for it. But there's one particular genre of creature-driven stories that leave us both unnerved and haunted. Beings that linger in the dark recesses of both new and ancient narratives. I speak, of course, of the cannibalistic or flesh-eating monsters that have plagued our minds for centuries. There is a tale of a man-eating creature from the myths of ancient Greece. 
one that is still popular in film and literature today. I speak, of course, of the Minotaur. In telling the tale of the Minotaur, one must start with how the creature came to be. This origin story is not for the faint of heart, and may leave you more than a little disturbed. Once he had ascended the throne of the island of Crete, King Minos prayed to the god Poseidon to send him a white bull to show the god's favor of him over his brothers. Poseidon answered his prayers, sending him the most beautiful white bull anyone had ever seen. In exchange, and as a sign of his devotion, King Minos was to sacrifice the bull to Poseidon. But the king could not bring himself to slay the creature, believing it to be too beautiful to be killed. He instead made a substitute sacrifice, thinking Poseidon would not be offended. He, of course, was wrong. Furious at the insult, Poseidon punished Minos by making his wife, Pasiphae, fall in love with the bull. As a result, she ordered Daedalus, father of Icarus and a skilled craftsman and architect by trade, to construct a hollowed wooden cow. Pasiphae then used the false cow to mate with the bull. This resulted in the birth of the Minotaur. An offspring of woman and beast, the Minotaur grew quickly, only able to nurse from Pasiphae for a short time before growing large and ferocious. Soon, there was only one thing that pacified its insatiable hunger, human flesh. At the advice of the oracle at Delphi, King Minos tasked Daedalus and his son Icarus with the construction of an enormous labyrinth to hold the Minotaur near the castle. The Minotaur, who had grown quite large, possessing the body of a man and the head of a bull, was locked away in the labyrinth, where the creature could cause no harm to humans as long as they never entered its eternal prison. Years later, the people of Athens killed one of Minos' sons. To avoid his wrath, he demanded that seven young women and seven young men be sent to Crete every year to atone for this murder. Once on Crete, they would be sent into the labyrinth where the Minotaur would feast on their flesh. Theseus of Athens wanted nothing more than to end the slaughter of his people. So he volunteered as a sacrifice, vowing to slay the Minotaur and end the killing of Athens' youth. When the ship carrying the sacrifices arrived in Crete, Minos and Pasiphae's daughter, Ariadne, fell in love with the Athenian hero. In order to help him on his quest, she obtained a plan of the labyrinth from Daedalus and a ball of string. Theseus would have to tie the end of the string to the labyrinth's exit, so that after the creature was defeated, he could make his escape. Theseus did as he was instructed and ventured deep into the labyrinth's depths. Soon, he came face to face with the bloodthirsty and enraged Minotaur, and killed it with his sword, though some versions claim he had no weapons at all, and took down the Minotaur with but a single blow of his fist. He then made his escape, taking the other sacrifices, and his beloved Ariadne away, fleeing back to Athens. But there are some flesh-eating monsters that one simply cannot just slay. Some you have to scare away. 
Take, for instance, the Chinese tale of the Nian. According to the legend, once a year, the creature known as Nian, which translates into year, would come down from the mountains to terrorize the villages of ancient China. It was bigger than any creature that had ever walked the earth, with a flat, lion-like head, two large horns, and a set of large, monstrous teeth. What was worse was the Nian was immortal, and no man-made weapons could injure it. All the village folk could do was hide in their homes and pray the creature did not find them. For the creature loved the taste of human flesh and delighted in eating children most of all. There was nothing anyone could do to stop it from attacking someone once the Nian found them. That is, until one day an old man came to one of the villages, vowing to drive off the monster, though none believed him. Come nightfall, Everyone had hidden themselves away, preparing for the annual visit of the Nian. As always, the Nian stormed into a village, but before he could devour a single person, the old man appeared before it, setting off bright flares and firecrackers. The lights and the noise frightened the monster, and when the old man stepped forward, wearing red, the Nian was driven mad with fear. Terrified and confused, it ran back to its home in the mountains. The old man was actually a celestial being who told the villagers that the demon Nien could not be killed, but it was easily scared, and so he would show them how to keep the beast at bay and keep their villages safe. He told them that the three things they would need to frighten Nien were the color red, bright lights, and firecrackers. From that day on, during the last day of the year, when Nian was due to come down from the mountains, the people of the rural villages of China would pop firecrackers, covered their villages with red decorations like lanterns, and kept their lights on while staying up into the night. This would ensure that they were forever safe from the demon, Nian. Eventually, this custom spread all over China and became one of the most important festivals of the Chinese people. Lunar New Year's Eve Hello, MJ McAdams here. Today's tales will continue after a brief message from our sponsors. So stick around. More haunts are waiting for you just around the corner. When most people think of flesh-eating monsters, zombies are often the first thing that comes to mind. It's hard not to see why, either. These creatures are found all throughout pop culture, from books and comics to movies, TV shows, and even video games. You name it, zombies got it. Now, we all know that these monsters are the living dead, reanimated corpses that are mindless, emotionless entities whose sole desire is to feast on the flesh of the living. They are usually created as a result of scientific disasters, viruses, or parasites, and they can turn others into their kind with a single bite. But where did zombies really come from? Well, actually, the term zombie comes from Haitian folklore. Zombie, or zombie, in Haitian Creole, 
describes a dead body that has been reanimated using magic practices such as voodoo. They are the result of spells and rituals by a voodoo sorcerer called a boko. The boko would create these zombies who, while having no desire to eat flesh, were trapped within their own body. They are used by the sorcerer for certain wicked tasks and slave labor, usually sent to work in the fields or construction jobs. The zombie is bound to the boko until he dies. Only then can they be free to go back to their original resting place and finally rest in peace. It was also believed that if one were to give a zombie salt, it would bring back not only their senses, but their personality. And upon realizing what they had become, they would find the boko who had controlled them and kill him, or simply return to their grave for the final death. The ghoul is a creature that often gets confused with the modern-day pop culture zombie, but the two are completely different. The ghouls we are familiar with are simple-minded but living beings, unlike the undead zombie. They crave human flesh, whether alive or dead, often living in cemeteries or graveyards. But much like the zombie, ghouls popularized by TV and movies aren't the genuine article. The creatures known as ghouls come from Arabic mythology, though some believe they have roots in the Mesopotamian religion. It is believed that nomads from Arabia may have interacted with different Mesopotamian civilizations, and they shared stories with one another. The Mesopotamian belief of the Galu demon, a demon who carried off human victims to the underworld and then devoured them, is very similar to the ghoul of Arabic lore. Ghouls were not mindless, corpse-eating monsters, but flesh-eating spirits who could shapeshift to trick their prey. Some even disguised themselves as beautiful women to lure lustful men into secluded areas in order to eat them. In fact, they tended to reside in desert wastelands, old cemeteries, and abandoned buildings. If venturing near such places, travelers were to be on the lookout for ghouls, as the creatures loved nothing more than to dine on those who wandered into their territory and they were said to be especially fond of turning children into their next dinner. Stories of the ghoul were collected in A Thousand and One Nights, but later on, as A Thousand and One Nights was translated into various languages from the original Arabic text, some who translated the stories took liberties and retold or even added to the original tales. Take, for instance, the book's French translation of the early 18th century by Antoine Galon. In Galon's translation, he not only added characters to the stories, but changed the ghouls into the scavengers or dull-minded grave robbers who feasted on the rotting flesh of corpses. It was this change that formed the idea of the westernized ghoul we know of today. And while still sinister, these creatures can't hold a candle to the original shape-shifting ghouls of Arabic lore. Perhaps one of the darkest among flesh-eating monsters is the Wendigo, a creature from Algonquian Native American folklore. The Wendigo was said to once be human. During the rough and barren winters, some resorted to eating human flesh in order to survive. After this cannibalistic act, 
they would transform into a flesh-eating monster. Dark spirits doomed to roam the northern forests of Canada and the northern U.S., forever searching for its next meal. Although there were other ways to become a Wendigo, such as possessed by a dark spirit, cannibalism was the most common. And while legends of the creature's speed and agility vary, this predator is said to have a much more effective and terrifying way of catching its prey. You see, they are said to have the ability to mimic human voices, like friends and loved ones, for example. The Wendigo can call out to a person by name, luring them out into a secluded area where they can attack and devour their victims. But what do these creatures look like? Well, most modern Western depictions of the Wendigo would have you believe they are large, hairy beings with great antlers and sometimes even bearing an animalistic skull for a face. This, however, is not an accurate depiction of the Wendigo at all. You will find that the real creature from Algonquian legend is much more unnerving. In his masterworks, The Manitouis, Basil H. Johnston, a native author, teacher, and scholar, described the creature as follows. Quote, The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation, its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out over its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into the sockets, the Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from separations of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption. Now, some tales say that the Wendigo has huge owl-like eyes or even massive claws, but most versions of this creature match the description given by Johnston. Giant, gray, and almost skeletal in appearance. An emaciated being that knows only an insatiable hunger. It is also said that a Wendigo can grow up to 15 feet tall, growing taller and taller each time it feeds. The stench of death is also said to follow it wherever it goes. To the Algonquian peoples, the Wendigo is more than just a monster. It is a symbol of selfishness. It is a warning. It is a reminder of the importance of community and the dangers of isolation. The Wendigo is more than a creature of the cold and barren wilderness, a being of endless hatred and hunger. The Wendigo is a lesson in the dangers of greed. In the darkness, in the shadows, and sometimes deep within the old forests of the world, stories wait patiently for us, whispering their secrets and warnings. The tales of the monsters who so willingly devour us have taken root wherever people can be found. Their reach knows no bounds. No land nor culture is immune to these fables. For where there is man, there is monster. They are here to thrill us, frighten us, and most of all, to teach us. Because the line between humanity and monstrosity is thinner than you might think.
So tread carefully, friends, because these stories bite. Nothing? Nothing at all? <sighs> Don't say that. None of these creatures are the monster that followed you. No, it's not good at all. Without at least an idea of what it is, I can't possibly help you get rid of it. Maybe I have to make a pact with Queen Mab after all. It won't help defeat the damn thing, but it will at least buy us some more time. What? Repeat what I just said? I said I will have to make a pact with... A pact? You remember something about a pact? You made a pact. That's why it's following you. You made a pact with the monster? The monster is your former lover's father? And what was she? Do you remember now? Some sort of immortal. But she gave up that immortality for you and died soon after. Wait. You made a pact with a creature. An immortal, ancient, and powerful. Something so full of hate and revenge after losing their daughter, they wiped out an entire hotel of people just to get to you. Something that's dwelled in the darkest of forests has followed you across the world throughout time and space and was able to come to this place in between all places. <sighs> I know now. I know what it is. How could I have missed all the signs? Captain, I know what's following you. for joining us today at Humble Hauntings. If you enjoyed today's tale, then feel free to leave a review and subscribe to our show. Don't forget to share with friends and family as well, because after all, when it comes to exploring the unknown, the more, the scarier. And remember, my spookables, home is where the haunt is.